Hello and welcome to the Crossroads Church Podcast, where we desire to see a world transformed by the good news of Jesus Christ. If you have a story to share about how God is working in your life, you can send a message to info at mycrossroads.co. Now, let's get our hearts and minds ready for a powerful message from God's Word. 1983, when I was 25 years old, I married a beautiful woman named Kathy. We had 17, almost 17 wonderful years of marriage together. Uh, we never had any kids, but we had lots of dogs and cats and a, a really, just really sweet life together. She was my best friend. That's, that's why we decided to get married, because we couldn't imagine spending our lives without our best friend by our side. Um, and then in January of 2000, she was diagnosed with cancer. Three months to the day later, on April 10th, she died. I spent those three months trying to be positive, trying to be encouraging, sure that God was going to see us through this. I was just positive that he would heal her. I could not imagine that he would let her die. Um, When she died, I felt like I'd lost everything. I felt like my world, my life was over. I was very angry at God. I remember just shouting and screaming at the sky. I, I, I said, you're not a good God. You could not have let this happen. This is, there's no way that, that a good God would let this happen to me. I thought that was the end. One of the worst things in, in, in grieving the loss of my wife was the, the sense that I had really failed. I, I had not been a spiritual leader in my family. Um, Kathy would have benefited so much from the community and support of, of having a church family. Uh, I felt like I could have done more to get her to doctors faster, thinking if, if I had just been more insistent that she see a physician sooner, that maybe she could have been diagnosed earlier, maybe maybe a time to save her life. I just all in all felt like I had not been a good husband. I was really had failed at the one thing that was important. I strongly believe that when one person in the family is suffering, the entire family also suffers. So my marriage was suffering. I think it was already in trouble before all of this began, but this was just putting another nail in the coffin. Um, My younger child began suffering from terrible, terrible depression. Um, And she ended up needing to do some counseling for that. We were doing marriage counseling. Um, I basically turned myself into Joyce Meyer Jr. Um, I posted scriptures on the walls, all over the house. I, I prayed so fervently, and I, I truly believed that if I could just be strong and, and, and have enough faith um, that God was going to hear my prayers. Um, yet year after year, things got worse and worse. And ultimately, my marriage fell apart, even though I had prayed so hard for my marriage to be restored. It 
It was not. And so then I became a, a single mother. Ultimately, my older child did, and he was not a child anymore, he was maybe 25 at the time, um, did a full year long rehab program um, and came home looking better than he had in, in many, many years. But just a f uh, handful of months later, I found him um, in, in our upstairs bathroom with, with no vital signs. The, the, the paramedics were able to get there and they, they were able to bring him back. But the next several weeks, we had uh, crash after crash and he was on life support and it, it seemed that he would not make a recovery from that. And I can't even begin to tell you my anger that I was having at that point because I thought, God, you were... You were supposed to answer my prayers. I, I couldn't have prayed any harder. And, and you've let my marriage fail. And, and now you're going to take my son away. Well, happy Easter. Bye. See ya. No. <laughs> Aren't you glad it doesn't end that way? Because of Easter, uh, brokenness doesn't have the final say. Evil doesn't have the final say. Darkness doesn't have the final say. Heartbreak doesn't have the final say. Jesus Christ, the Lord of lords and the King of kings, He has the final say. Amen? You know, sometimes we forget. First of all, I want to say hi to those who are watching online around the country and around the world. I know we have thousands watching today, and we just, we just want to say thank you, and we love you, and thank you for being part of the uh, Crossroads Church family. also want to say, for those of you that have never seen me in a suit, happy Easter, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. Come on. I meant no. So, you know, something about the disciples, they were devastated on, on Good Friday. They were devastated on that, that Saturday. It is hard for us to, to think about how absolutely destroyed they were. I mean, think about it. They were so convinced that Jesus was the Messiah that they forsook everything to follow him for three years. They left their, they left their, their families. They left their jobs. They left their homes. They left everything absolutely convinced. And then all of a sudden, this guy's arrested. And that's okay, but then now, now they see him hanging on a cross. And you know in a ball game where you just think there's just that moment, there's the moment, there, it's still, it seems like everything can't win, but then you still have that hope because the game is still on, and then all of a sudden the clock goes out and you're going, game over. Well, when they saw him die, it was game over. I mean, understand that all their hopes, everything they'd counted on were buried right along with Jesus. And so what we're going to take a look at today, we're going to look and say that that didn't have the final say. That hopelessness, that strength that they were going through did not have the final say. We're going to look at four things that didn't have the final say because maybe you're going through a tough time now and maybe there's something in the tomb right now. And what did, let me ask you this, what did have the final say in their life? What did, if that didn't, if, 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 if hope did not have the final say, what did? And we're going to take a look at that. First of all, it says hopelessness does not have the final say. Listen to this. In, in Luke chapter 24, 21, there were, there were some disciples that were walking along on the way to Emmaus, and they said this. They said, we had hoped. Did you hear that? We had hoped. Hoped was in the past tense. 
uh, things for a dream for a, a good future was in the past tense. So here's the question. What was in the present tense? If their hope was in the past tense, what are they facing right now? One thing they're facing is absolute fear. They are terrified because they're thinking they're about to die. They're thinking the same people that were going after Jesus is going to go after his followers as well. They are hiding. They are scared to death. They're afraid for their life. Imagine that. Now then also imagine that, that confusion was also in the present tense. They were convinced that he was the Messiah, but Messiahs aren't supposed to die, are they? And yet, Jesus was, was dead. Can you imagine what was going on? We had a thought. I mean, certainly he was the Messiah. We saw him do those things that no one else had ever done. We saw him preach and, 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 and raise people from the dead and all that. And, and certainly, certainly he was the Messiah, wasn't he? So all these things are in the past tense. You know, it's kind of like a, a young lady who, who came up to me this week. And she had had a really bad doctor's report. And she said, and she used these words. She said, I feel hopeless. I feel helpless. I'm afraid. Um, use all these words that you and I can understand that we can relate to. And I'm just thinking, again, maybe you're relating that to right now. Maybe there's an area where you're fearful. Maybe there's a place where you feel hopeless. Where there, maybe there's a place where you feel helpless. And we're going to take a look at those today. And the first one is, is that, that, that hopelessness does not have the, have the final say. But don't miss this, that they didn't have to feel that way. They did not have to feel hopeless. They could have absolutely been celebrating even in the midst of their pain. They could have been excited. How in the world do I say that? It's because of this. Jesus had told them everything that was going to take place. He told them, I mean specifically, everything that was going to take place. Not once, not twice, but at least three times that we have record of. And let's take a look at one of those which is found in the book of Matthew. It says this. Now, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem... He took the 12 disciples aside and he said to them, don't miss this, we are going up to Jerusalem. Okay, there's the place. And the Son of Man, that's him, is going to be betrayed, talks about him being betrayed, to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. That's specifically who's going to be doing it. They will condemn him. He talks about exactly what's going to happen during the trial. He's condemned to death. And it will turn him over to the Gentiles, that's the, that's the Romans, to be mocked, to be flogged, and to be crucified, and on the third day he will be raised to life. He said where it's going to happen, he said who's going to do it, and he said specifically exactly what's going to take place. Now you would think at least one of them would remember all this in the middle of the Saturdays and the Fridays, right? You know, uh, several years ago, uh, obviously many years ago, I was in college, and I was about to, to, have, to live with three other guys in an apartment the next fall. And we were there saying goodbyes for the summer. We were going to see each other in just a few months. And we came up with each other, gave each other's hugs, fist bumps, everything. And we said to Ted, my friend, we said, we'll see you in a few months. And he said, no, I'll see you in heaven. We're like, we'll see you in a few months. He goes, I'll see you in heaven. And one, I still remember one of my friends says, what are you talking about? We'll see you in a few months. And he said, I'm telling you, I will see you in heaven. And we didn't know what that was talking about and everything, but, but only three weeks later, my friend Ted died in an accident in the French Alps climbing Mount Blanc in, uh, in, in France. And we're going, I don't know how he knew this, but I'm telling you, I can specifically remember the moment when he's telling me that happened. When he's telling me those, I can bring it back like it was yesterday. And, and it would be even more so if he said, oh, and by the way, I'm going to raise from the dead in three days. 
I think I'd remember that. And especially if I'd seen him raise other people from the dead, I'm going to remember that. But somehow these guys didn't remember this in any way, shape, or form. Not one of them put it together. Not one of them said, this is happening just like he said. Do you realize that? I mean, he said we we're going to Jerusalem and look what happened. He said he was going to, the chief priests and teachers of the law were going to tend him over. It happened just like that. They said he was going to be mocked. He said he was going to be whipped. It happened. And he said he was going to be crucified. Do you remember? He was crucified. And one other guy should be saying, yeah, and didn't he say something about resurrection? Yeah, he did. He said he would be raising from the dead. What, how many days did he say? Three days. That's right. He said three days. And Friday, that was day one. Today's Saturday. Dudes, tomorrow, he's coming back, right? That's what they should have been doing. They should have been getting this big sign together saying, welcome back, Jesus, right? But instead, it's Friday. Instead, they are, they are brokenhearted. And what should they have been doing? I mean, they should have been walking to the tomb, getting ready with, you know, with everything that morning. They should have been walking and going, what are you going to say to him when you see him? I don't know, man. What are you going to say? I'll tell you, won't the chief priest and the teachers of law be surprised when he goes, well, I'm back, right? But instead, instead, they're devastated. They're dev- you know why? Because they don't take Jesus at his word. He's told them what's going to happen. He told them specifically, but they didn't believe what he said. You know what? There's times that you and I face, face Fridays and Saturdays of life, and we get discouraged. And you know how brokenhearted you can be. And you know how long a, a, a night, how dark a night can be. You know that because you've been there. But here's the wild thing, too, is the reason we are so brokenhearted, even in the midst of the trouble, is because we don't take Jesus at his word. Every single, every single problem that you and I have facing right now and ever will face, God has a promise for it. And we should be, instead of going, you know, struggling everything, even in the midst of the trouble, of course we're going to be brokenhearted. Of course there's going to be difficulty. But we should go, you know, God, I don't know how you're going to provide, but you promised me that you're going to provide all my needs according to your glorious riches. I don't know how you're going to do it, but you're going to do it. And God, you say that you're going to work all things together for good. And right now, it's not looking good. And, and, and so you know what that tells me, God? It's not the end because you say everything is going to work out in the end. And it's not the end because things aren't working out. But I can't wait to see how you come through in, in this one. You know, there were several years ago that a, a, we were in a men's Bible study. And, and one of the guys gave a genius question. He said, if you could go back to your 17-year-old self, what would you say? Woo, Right? And I say that, what would you say? What would you say to your 17-year-old self? If you're 17, what would you say to your 7-year-old self, right? What would you say? And and there were great answers. Several of the guys said, I would risk more. I would tell my 17-year-old self, risk more. There were several of them that that said this, I would tell my my 17-year-old self to get serious about God way, way, way sooner. You know what I said? I said? I said this, go ahead and throw that up there. I said, Lowell, when you see those signs right there, invest heavily. Invest heavily in those things. (laughs) No, I didn't say that. You know, what would you say if you had, if you could, if you could go back in time, if you had a time machine, if you had a flux capacitor, you know, with with a DeLorean, what would you say there? What would you say to those guys? Wouldn't you go up to the disciples and say, dudes, listen, it's going to be okay. I mean, I know the end of the story, and it's all going to work out, and it's going to work out just like Jesus said it was going to work out. And maybe if we could go back to our 17-year-old self, you know what I would say? I would say, Lowell, it's going to work out. 
There's going to be hard times in your life. I said that I would trust more. And there's going to be times where it's, life's going to be tough. There's going to be times where life is really, 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 really tough. But he's going to work everything out. He's never going to leave you. He's never going to forsake you. Everything is going to work out. So every moment you spend worrying is a wasted moment. Every time that you think God's not going to come through, it's a wasted time. Have faith because God's going to come through for you every time. You know, I remember being uh, here a couple of years ago, and I was sitting right over there, and we were watching a, a, a video of some, uh, some people coming to the altar and just some neat things happening in, in Crossroads. And the lady, it just so happened that the lady at the altar, one of the ladies at the altar was sitting right next to me, and she, he, she elbowed me and said, do you know what I was going through right then? Do you know why I went to the altar? And I said, no. She goes, I know exactly what it was for. She said, I was absolutely convinced my marriage was over. She said, I was convinced of it. She said, I felt completely, don't miss this, hopeless. I thought it was over. And she was sat, looking there two years ago. She said, you know what? My, our marriage right now is doing fantastic. We're more in love than we ever were before. You know, because helplessness, hopelessness does not have the final say. There was another time when there was a lady that was pushing 50 years old. She was nearly 50 years old. She, was old. she had never had a child before. She had tried many times since she had been pregnant several times. She had been pregnant at least five times that I'm aware of, and she miscarried every single time. She got pregnant again, and the doctor said, it's not going to happen. She said, they said, you might as well give up because you're never going to carry this child full term. You're never going to do it, so don't get your hopes up. And I know that story is true because that lady is my mom and that baby was me. <laughs> it's always too early to give up with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. There is no hopeless situation that is too hopeless for him. And also, uh, the, the helplessness doesn't have the final say. Look what happens with the, uh, with the, the women that come to the, the tomb. Said this, Mark 16, verse 1. When the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome brought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. All right, there's the original Spice Girls right there. There it was. Why did they bring spices? It wasn't, it wasn't because they were having a barbecue, right? It was to cover up the smell of a corpse, y'all. In other words, they did not go to the, the tomb that day expecting to see Jesus. They were expecting to see a corpse. They did not know it was Easter. They did not know it was Resurrection Sunday. They had no idea of this. They were going, and look what they did. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the, to the, to the tomb. I love these ladies. I mean, I love them. While the guys are sleeping, while the guys are hiding, the girls are coming to the, the tomb. And it's an act of love. It's an act of, of care. They can't do anything else for him. But even though their heart is broken, and understand this, they're going to the place of their heartbreak. I mean, that's courage, y'all. When you go to the place where your heart is broken, that's courage. And in love they come, and in courage they come. And here they are. Now watch what they're afraid of or, or concerned about. Then they asked each other, who will roll away the stone from the entrance of the tomb? Their, their big concern is the... The, the stone on the front of the tomb because they know something. They know that their, their situation is helpless. There's nothing they can do, the three of them, that's going to make that tomb open up. There's nothing. If they put all their effort, if all their strength, everything, they're not going to move that stone one inch combined together. But that's really the least of their problems. Something else is, that's going on there is in front of the tomb, over the tomb, there is a Roman seal. 
And you can't break that Roman seal. If you break that Roman seal, you're the one that's going to be broken. You're the one that's going to be executed if you broke, break the seal. And not only that, there is a, a contingent of a Roman guard there that is guarding the tomb. In other words, hear this. You talk about a, a, a hopeless situation. They have, a, they have a stone that they can't roll away. They have a seal that they can't break. They have guards that they can't defeat. And they've got a corpse that they can't resuscitate. You think you've had a bad day. Right? I mean, they've, that's what they're facing. And I don't know what your hopeless situation is. I don't know what it is. Maybe your hopeless situation is a relationship. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's something, a relationship, something going on with your kids. Maybe it's, maybe it's a, a financial situation. Maybe it's something going on with your job or your career. Maybe it's something going on at school. Maybe it's a health situation that you're, that you're facing. Maybe it's an addiction that you have that has owned you for a while. Maybe it's an addiction that one of you, a loved one has that has owned them for a while. I don't know what your, your, your impossible situation is. But understand this, that the, that the, they, the ladies, as they were walking, they came to the scene. Think of the scene they came to. The stone was already rolled away. There's an angel sitting on top of it, and, and not because he's resting because he's tired, but it seems like it's just out of, out of a dramatic show. And the guards, the Bible says, are shaking and become like dead people. Do you get the picture? The person who is supposed to be dead is alive, and the people who are supposed to be guarding him, they're acting like they're dead. And here's the, here's the beautiful thing. All they did was do what they knew to do. All they did was they went to the tomb, even knowing that was there. They just kept going on what they were supposed to do, what they knew to do in love for Jesus Christ. And while they were walking, God was working, right? While they were walking, God was working. While they were talking about the problem, God was already dealing with the, the problem. And the thing that I love the most in this whole situation is God was already working out what they were worried about, right? And I want you to hear that. The God, whatever you're worried about right now, God is working out what you're already worried about. And while you walk, while you keep walking and just doing what you know to do, while you're faithful to God, while you keep praying to Him, while you keep looking to Him, He is working even when you don't know about it. Remember, all this was taking place at nighttime. And God was working in the middle of the dark when they didn't even know about it. And God, hear this, God does some of His best work in the dark. And there's times where you may not even know it looks like God has left you. It looks like God doesn't care. It looks like God doesn't even answer prayers. But while you are praying, while you are walking, God is working. And he's already working at the situation while you keep walking and be faithful to him. Amen? And then something else is, is failure. Or, oh, one more thing, sorry. Is doubt doesn't have the final say. I wasn't going to say this one, but I really feel absolutely compelled. There are people watching. There are people in here that need to hear what I'm about to, to say. Listen to this in Matthew uh, 26, uh, 28, 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Jesus appears to the, the disciples. Now, I think this is kind of funny. I love this. That, that Remember, they're afraid. They're terrified. They're behind closed doors. And Jesus either walks through a wall or suddenly appears to them, which is kind of funny to think about when the people are scared to death anyway. And, you know, all of a sudden, there he is, Right. But, he, but they, he appears to them, but some of them still doubted. Thomas is one of them we know about because he wasn't there. And Thomas says this, listen, I don't care what you guys say. Unless I feel those scars and feel the, the scar on the side, I'm not going to believe it. And Jesus, you know what I love about Jesus? Jesus comes over beside him and, and he goes and appears to him and says, Thomas, come here and listen to these words. 
He says, put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting. Don't miss this. Stop doubting and believe. You may be here today and, and, and you may be struggling with some doubt with, with, as a believer. I mean, maybe you're not a believer. Maybe you're an, a, an atheist. Maybe you're an agnostic. Maybe you're somebody who's been searching for the truth for years and you really want to know the truth, but you just don't have the answers that you want. Now, I want to say one thing. God's not afraid of your doubts. God's not afraid of your questions. But there's a big difference between uh, somebody who, uh, doubt and unbelief. Doubt is saying, God, I need some answers. And humbly comes before God, God, please give me some answers. Unbelief is saying, God, I don't care what you show me. I'm not going to believe. I'm never going to believe. I'm always going to do my, my thing. It's a big difference between those things. But here he is just coming up and saying, you know, and, and, and wanting that. But here's something. Please hear this. This is what I'm supposed to tell you, I think, today, is that you're never going to have all your questions answered this side of heaven. You're never going to. But there comes the point that sometimes you can have, I have enough evidence in my life, what I see in this world, what I see just, just things happening, the, the incredible creation around me, how God has worked in my life, how God has worked in other people's lives. I, I have enough evidence to take a step of faith and say, God, I believe in you, because that's exactly what happens here. And, and, and there's times, not only are, are you know, atheists and agnostics sometimes need that, and, and maybe God is saying to you, stop doubting and believe. But those of us who are believers, we struggle too with doubt, don't we? And maybe you're here today and you go, you're doubting and saying, God, do you really love me? Do you really see my situation? Do you really care? Do you really answer prayer? Can you still heal today? Do you still do miracles today? God, I need to know, are you still, are you with me wherever I go? And maybe God, the God would say that to you today and say the same thing. Stop doubting and believe. Because I love one thing about Thomas. He gets a bad rap because he is called what Thomas? Doubting Thomas. But doubting Thomas became confessing Thomas. Do you realize that? He saw the evidence. He fell on his knees and said, my Lord and my God. And maybe it's enough time that we do that too, that we say, God, I am so tired of doubting in my life. And I'm going to say to you, my Lord and my God. You know, one of my dearest friends in this, in this church, 18 months ago, he was an atheist, not an agnostic, an absolute atheist. And he has come to faith in Jesus Christ. And I'm telling you, this guy is so full of faith right now. And he is somebody who every week comes in and says, my Lord and my God. And maybe it's your turn today. You know, and, and finally, failure doesn't have the final say. There's, listen to this, what, what happens with, when the angel appears to the ladies. He says this, Go tell his disciples and Peter. He is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him, just as I told you. Why the end, Peter? I mean, he didn't mention any of the other 11 disciples. He said, why? Tell the disciples and Peter. Why the P.S. to Peter? A lot of us know the story, don't we? We know that Peter's the one that gave the really big boast, right? He's the one that said, when Jesus said on the night he was betrayed, he said, you guys are going to go, go in different directions. When I need you the most, you're not going to be there. You're all going to run and, and, and take off on me and leave me and forsake me. And Peter goes, no, 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 no. I don't care what these other turkeys do. It's never going to happen to me. I am never going to leave you, Jesus. I am never going to forsake you. In fact, even if I have to die for you, I'm willing to lay down my life for you. And Jesus looks at him and says, Peter, I'm telling you what's really going to go down. He said this. He said, before the rooster crows, you're going to pretend three times that you don't even know who I am. Now, which way did it happen? The way Peter thought or the way Jesus thought? By the way, it always happens the way Jesus says. It's always, somebody needs to hear that today. It's always going to work out that way. 
And, it, and so, so Peter's there, and he's, and he's, he's confronted with this, this little girl, and, he, and, he, and she says, you were with him too, and he cusses at her, and he swears he doesn't even know who she is, and he is, and then two, that happens two other times. Two other times he does that, and, 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 and after the third one, the rooster, the rooster started to crow, and the Bible says that he and Jesus caught eyes, and he was broken. I mean, broken. The Bible says he went outside and wept bitterly. The actual word in the Greek is, is saying he sobbed and he even wailed. Here's this, this man's man that is so broken that he's, he's disappointed. He's been a failure. He's done exactly what he said he would never do. He didn't do what he said that he would do. And he's so broken that he goes back to fishing. And I love this. Jesus, in his, in his incredible mercy and in his incredible love, he takes Peter aside by himself. And he goes, he goes, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, you know I love you. He says again, he says, Peter, do you love me? Ask him a second time. He said, you know I love you. And he said, Peter, do you love me? And the third time he said, Peter, Jesus, you know all things. You know that I, I love you. Why in the world would Jesus ask him three times whether he loved him? One for every single denial that he gave. He had him confess him the same amount of times that he denied him. And not for Jesus' sake, but for Peter's sake. And then Jesus looked at him and he said, feed my sheep. You know what he was saying there? He was saying this. He was saying, Peter, you, you think you're off the team, man. You think you're off the team, but not only are you off, not off the team, you're the starting quarterback, buddy. And you're the captain of the, of the team. You know, there's this place in, in North Carolina called the Tale of the Dragon. And it's a place up in the, up in the, the mountains. And, and what it is is just one, one hairpin corner after another hairpin corner. And it is perfect for motorcycle riding. It is perfect for, for, you know, for, for driving a sports car up there too. But at the very front of this, there's this big tree. And on the tree, go ahead and show that. There it is. I took that picture. On the tree is just carcass after carcass of motorcycle parts. And you know what it is? It's a monument to brokenness. It's a monument to failure. It's a monument to falling short. It's a monument to mistakes. It's a monument to, to, to absolutely screwing up. That's what it is. And I love the name of it. It's the, the name of it is the tree of shame. You know something? Every single one of us in this room, we have a tree of shame, don't we? There are things that, that's a monument to our brokenness. A monument to our falling short. A monument to our failure. A, mon- a monument to our wipeouts, even. And there's things that we should have said that we never said. There's things that we should have done and we never did. There's things that we, that we thought that we should never have thought. And there's things that we did that we never should have done. There's things that we said that we never should have said. And I'll tell you, if you saw my tree of shame, you wouldn't be able to see to the top. And maybe some of you can relate to, to that. You know, one of the things that, that Jesus or that Satan will, will lie to you, one of his biggest lies, is that God can never love you after what you've done. That you have to be perfect in order to have Jesus' love. You need to be perfect in order for God to, to use you. You know, there was a, a young man that 41 years ago, this very day, this very day, was getting high on Easter Sunday. And even though he was raised in the church, even though he was the, 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 the president of his, his youth group, even though he'd had a call in his life to go into ministry from third grade, he found himself in that situation. And he was... And in his brokenness going, is nothing sacred to me anymore? Is nothing sacred? But it was a wake-up call for that young man. And as he went back to Jesus, 
there was a, a, a reconciliation and God put him back on the team. I know that story because that person is me. There's a God who, under, who, who came to you with failure. Here's the thing that I want you to understand. That our monument may be that big to failure. And, and it is the tree of shame. But there's a, there's a God who died on the tree of shame. The real tree of shame so that you and I don't have to pay the price for our own sin. That, he, that our tree of shame is covered up in the blood of Jesus Christ. Because he's the one that took the shame for, for us. And one thing that's great is our failure, please hear this, our failure, our failure doesn't have the final say. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords has the final say, amen? And here's some people that we heard at the start to say that their life, God doesn't have, or Satan doesn't have the final say either. Failure did not have the final say. About two months after my wife passed away, a neighbor of mine saw me in the yard and invited me to come to her church. I, I knew, I think, from the seeds my mom had planted in me that that's exactly where I needed to be. I walked in the door that June morning, and it was my first contemporary service. I walked in, I heard this music, that, and I just felt like God's arms were catching me when I was falling. It was, it was like an embrace. He was telling me, welcome back. Life's not over. I have a plan for you. Um, about a year after that, I was just walking uh, through the movie theater where that church met, and our children's director said, Rob, see those fifth graders over there? They just need somebody to stand with them for a minute. And I was lifelong stuck in doing kids' ministry, and I still am today. Um, it's one of the things that drew me to Crossroads is our, our just fantastic children's ministry here. And uh, when I found Crossroads, almost uh, from the first Sunday I was here, I ran into Sherry, uh, the woman who I ended up marrying. Um, God really did have a plan, and He knew that uh, it wasn't open for me. I, at that point, began to realize that I needed to admit that I was very disappointed in how the Lord had not answered my prayers. And so there was a, a day while we were on the retreat that we were sent out on our own to do a homework assignment. And um, I, I found myself a rock to sit down on. Um, and I found myself starting to just pray out loud and, and tell God for the first time how disappointed I was in the way he didn't answer my prayers, how angry I actually was with him for allowing so much suffering and so much pain in my family. And, and I ended up, I, I, I reached my hand over and I, and I grabbed this, this rock and I turned around, I, got, I was on my knees and there was the rock I was sitting on and I just, I just started crying out as loud as I, as I could and I'm pounding the rock, just pounding the rock and I'm just, I'm just basically yelling at God. I mean, I guess if anybody was there, they would have thought I was, I was completely crazy or something. But um, this probably, I don't know how long it went on, but I, I found myself just pouring out my heart. And the whole time, I was just slamming, slamming this rock down onto the rock that I was sitting on and just crying and wiping my face. And when I took a breath, 
And I turned around and I sat back down on the rock that I'd been sitting on. I looked at the rock in my hand and lo and behold, it looked like a heart. And it didn't look like a heart when I picked it up. I had literally chiseled, um, apparently, this into the shape of a heart with, without knowing it. And I, it took my breath away, and I, I looked at it. And, and what came up in my spirit right then was, Sherry, give me your heart of stone, and I will give you a heart of flesh. And I thought, did I just think that? Really? You know, so I, I kind of held out my my rock and I said, I'm giving you my heart of stone. You can take it because I don't want it anymore. I, I can't go on. I just can't go on like this. So I stand up and I realized for the first time I was kind of in a little ditch. And I look down and I am absolutely covered in mud. I didn't even know it at the time, but I had mud on my face from wiping my face. I had mud on my hands. I had mud all over my jeans. And um, I kind of crawled up out of the ditch. And in my spirit, I felt God say, I have lifted you out of the pit. I have pulled you up out of the mud and the mire. And I have set your feet on a level place. I was speechless at that point. Nothing was really different in my life, but something was different in me because I, I felt that I heard from, from God somehow, and, and I stepped up out of that ditch, and I, I was different. I had a different perspective because God restored me. He redeemed me. Um, at this point, my, my life has gone on to, to now see my older child uh, clean and sober more than four and a half years now. Um, my younger one is doing very, very well. He's just received a master's degree. I'm, I'm remarried. He seems to really cherish me, and he loves my children with all of his heart and you know, there's a scripture that says, I will restore to you the years that the locusts have eaten. So I really feel like he's restored my life. Um, we went down a hard road, but hopelessness did not have the final say. By the way, Rob and Sherry are married to each other. And there's something that um, I want you to hear. Helplessness does not have the final say in your life. Hopelessness does not have the final say in your life. Death does not have the final say. Evil, darkness, whatever it is, does not have the final say. And before we go on, I just want us, I'd like us to just to bow our head and close our eyes for a moment. And I want to give... Everybody in here who has never given their life to Jesus Christ. Right now, in your life, sin does have the final say. And death does have the final say. But Jesus has done everything he can to make it where he has the final say. But by saying no to Jesus, or not, by not saying yes, you are saying no to him to this point. But today can be the day where you have eternal life, where you have your sins forgiven, 
where your tree of shame is covered in his tree of shame. Or maybe you're here today or maybe you're listening online right now and and you're away from God. You're not where you want to be. And God, again, he's there with open arms, not with an accusing finger. No matter where you are, if you're in this room, if you're listening online, I just feel like there's someone in a motel right now that's listening to this. And God is so after you that he's specifically reaching out to you right now. And if whatever that is with you, either coming back to Jesus or coming to him to the first time, maybe there's a wake-up call in your life like there was in mine. And Jesus is saying, just believe. Welcome home. Do you love me? Then feed my sheep. If that's you, and if everybody else can join as well, If you can pray this prayer sincerely from your heart out loud, if everybody can join in with them. Dear Jesus, I have a tree of shame, but I trust in your forgiveness. I ask you to forgive me of all my sins. I'm coming to you, Lord Jesus. All my problems, all my struggles, all my fears, all my failures, and I lay them at your feet. And I receive your forgiveness and your hope and your joy and everything. I confess that you are my Lord and Savior. Come into my life. Thank you for hearing my prayers. Thank you for setting me free. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Crossroads Church Podcast. If you would like to listen to past Crossroads Church Podcasts, you can go to mycrossroads.co slash podcast. Once again, thanks for listening.